Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here in the village of Boot in the much-loved valley of Eskdale on a miserable autumn day with author and illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. It's never miserable in Cumbria. It's just variable, and it's all down to clothing, I always feel. We're in the Boot Inn, we should say, who've been very kind to put on a lovely fire for us, uh, and we are anticipating the onslaught. I can hear the wind now, sheets of rain coming down. I think I'm justified in calling this miserable, but I appreciate your optimism, Mark. <laughs> That's my role on Country Stride, Is to it? be the light voice of hope. I didn't realise you defined it like that, but fair enough, okay, well I'll be the um, the weighty voice of realism. But anyway, we've got something really interesting today. First of all, we are going to have a fell walk, <laughs> despite the weather. We've never actually, on Country Stride, been for a walk in the kind of conditions that many of us who love the lakes will have walked in many times. You know what, I kind of like walking in conditions like this. Let's talk about the route first of all. Where are we going, Mark? Well, we'll go from the village of Boot down to the St Catherine's Church and then go upstream to Doctor Bridge and then sneak up by the Woolpack Inn and then we'll follow a quarry track and a fell path up to Eel Tarn and then cut back down into the valley into to Boot again. I think it's about four miles. It's a lovely little circular, um, not least for that beautiful passage along the Esk. And the reason we don't normally record on days like today, Mark, is... The rain and the wind, that combination is really quite lethal to the microphone. But we've got places like St Catherine's Church and the Woolpack where we can just pop in, have a bit of a chat about the route. But partly that works because we're also doing something a little bit unusual today. We're really just stopping in at various people who know and love this valley. It's one of those magical valleys that seems to have been unaffected by the passage of time and still evokes a sense of community. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? And we've, we've managed to get three different people who are going to talk to us about their rooted connections with this wonderful place. First up, we're going to meet somebody actually not too far away from here in the boot in. Who's that, Mark? Patricia Nolan, who lived here up until she went away to school. So her early years were all evoked this setting and still feels the great warmth for this place. It is home for her, despite travelling away and becoming a teacher in London and so on. So Patricia Nolan, first of all, and then on the way back from our walk, we're going to stop in at Howes, a farm sited just up on the hillside there, uh, which is the home of Noel and Janet Baines. That'll be interesting. I, I always love talking to farmers. He's interesting. He has common grazing rights on to Scarfell mm. itself, so has some wonderful stories about the fells and uh, there was a donkey for many years that grazed on Scarfell. If people remember that donkey, well, that's Knowles. <laughs> so we're going to take a trip down memory lane in this much-loved valley. We're going to talk about the old post office here. We're going to talk about some of the heritage of the valley. We're going to talk about farming, we're going to talk about stormy nights on the fells, and immerse ourselves in the magic of this valley. Let's go and meet Patricia. Patricia. 
on what turns out to be a rather miserable early October Tuesday, the rain is persisting down outside. We have retreated to a very homely environment of the Boot Inn in the village of Boot, and we've got a very warm welcome. The landlord has put on a wonderful fire, and you can hear the cracking in the background. And I'm in the company of Patricia Noland, who was brought up in this wonderful village. Welcome to Country Stride. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. Can you give us a little bit of a feel for your connection with this place? Well, I was born here. I was born next door to the post office in the village. Um, and then we moved down to another cottage uh, about... 500 yards away, a little row of cottages where um, my mother and my father were married, of course, by then, and my father worked at Sellafield. Um, I went to the village school until I was 11. I was lucky enough to pass the 11 plus. So then off I went to boarding school. Uh, but my book, which is called Racing the Wind, is actually about three years of my life, starting at the age of eight, which was when my father died in the September, and then at the age of 11, when I was packed off to boarding school. It'd be wonderful to learn a little bit about your actual family background in this setting. Can you give us a little personal connection? Yes, my mother's maiden name was Massix, but the old name on her mother's side was Hartley or Tyson. They're all related, and they've lived in the valleys, we know, since 1600s, and we know probably much earlier. Probably farmers... Um, my grandmother was uh, the eldest of her family and she actually had to walk to school from a farm called Burkethwaite which was um, way on Burkhamore and a long way to walk for a little girl of five sometimes her father waited with a horse and cart to take her home again but sometimes she had to walk and on wet days she never went to school at all Now your grandmother who had a, a generous family of her own welcomed evacuees I gather Yes that's true um, I suppose her family were growing up and she'd had to bring up these six children. I suppose the youngest can't have been that old. They were still at home. But these two um, boys came, aged nine and 11, I think, from Newcastle, and they were absolutely lousy. They had to be uh, de-loused. They had to be bathed. They had to have the hair cut to about an inch all over. And my grandfather did his usual cut of very, very short with a flap of hair on the forehead. And that was it. They hated it. And at first they hated it. They had nothing to do. They said, could we go to pictures? They said, mm, 20 miles away, I don't think so. Or, yes, a fish and chip shop they were longing for. But by the end, they absolutely loved it. My grandfather was a gamekeeper. And um, they used to go out with him out onto the moors. He taught them how to shoot. He taught them all sort of country skills, really. And they adored it. They didn't want to go home. And when they were grown up, they still visited the valley after we were grown up um, and were mortified and very upset when my grandmother had died very young at 52. And uh, you lived in Orange Hill. Can you describe the kind of people you knew as neighbours? In or we didn't call it Orange Hill. It was the old name for it. And on my birth certificate, it was now for Orange Hill, which is the little cottage adjoining the post office, which is a big Victorian building. Um, but that in those days, an old lady had the post office, very eccentric and, and cross cross patched lady. And um, over the river, the bridge was the mill. It was a very old water mill, big two water wheels. Um, and an old couple, one, the, the guy had one leg and his wife had one eye. <laughs> and they managed very well and they were lovely people, really nice. Once a year, 
they went off on this secret holiday. And they went all over the country, the Isle of Skye, they went down to Penzance, they went to islands, and they'd come and whisper to Mum, can you stop the papers for two weeks, Mary? She knew she wasn't meant to spread it around in case somebody broke into the mill. I think they were very worried about the wheel. Um, and, of course, there was a pub. There were various different landlords and landladies which was quite popular, had a lot of visitors in the summer, but then quiet in the winter. And also opposite was a farm called Bridge End, was a good working farm, and um, Arthur made walking sticks, he was quite skilled at that. And Brookhouse was at a pub? Brookhouse was a bed and breakfast. And actually in those days, um, older people didn't go into homes so much. They used to go and stay at an inn uh, or a bed and breakfast place like that and really basically lived there. But at holiday times, when it got a little bit busy in Eskdale, they'd go off and stay with their children or they'd go on holiday themselves. Then they'd come back in the autumn and then just go right through to the spring. And they were almost like members of the family. And that happened quite a lot. Mm. We had a writer called Dudley Hoyes who lived at the Woolpack um, up towards Hardknot. And, and he spent a lot of years there and he didn't even go away much. He just stayed there and regaled the visitors with stories. Now, I look at... Esther, whenever I come here, I see it as a very self-contained valley. But if I go back in time to the, like the early 1950s, which I can personally do, and I believe you can, Pat, what was it like here? Did you travel much? No, not much at all. We didn't have a car until I'd actually left home to go to college. My mother got a car. But most you either got a lift with one or two people. The farms tended to have some kind of van. And they had to travel around with their sheep and go to markets, say, in Broughton, over Berkhamore. But on the whole, people didn't, and we made our own entertainment. Um, and I think because it was quite remote and because access wasn't easy, it kept the valley beautiful and unspoiled in other ways, where perhaps over the other side they, they had more, more visitors. We had the little railway... Um, which initially um, was for iron ore, and then um, after that it was for uh, granite at the quarry, and then gradually passengers started to come up um, in the early days. And I remember when I was a little girl, we used to stand and wave to people coming up on the train to um, Delgarth. But we actually, from a fun point of view, we made our own. And it actually went by the church's calendar, so you looked forward to Christmas, and uh, it was quite fun, decorated the church, and it was a church school, so we learnt Christmas carols and did little tableaus and things. And then in the spring, Easter, we looked forward to... All the festivals were celebrated. Bonfire night, we joined together and had a big bonfire and roasted potatoes. So it was always something after you got one thing over, then after that, then it was Christmas, then it was spring, and then in the summer, it was great because you could go swimming in the beck. My birthday was in July, so I always had my birthday party by the river, if it was fine. Oh, the stepping stones? Uh, actually, up here, where it's now roped off because it's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> we, we managed to survive it, and it was a nice pool. I used to leap in. I mean, actually, I thought I could swim, but when I got to Keswick and jumped into Dermond Water, I sank twice. <laughs> actually, couldn't really swim. I could do the doggy paddle and stay up afloat, and that was it. So um, was, that was, it was it Will and Beck you swam in, or Esther? Actually, both. Both. Um, yes, there were places by the church, up from the church, anywhere where there was a deep, deeper pool. You know, Doctor Bridge? Yes. Yes, yes, you could swim there. Oh, it's a lovely spot. I love it there. And actually, later on, we swam in Burnmore Tarn, which was really nice. You could swim right across it. Did um, you ever, ever go to Eel Tarn and Stony Tarn? I didn't swim. Oh, Stony Tarn, I loved. 
it's more remote even than Eel Tarn, and a lot of people can't find it. You have to approach it from the Woolpack Inn, I think, to, to get, find it. Um, it was so beautiful and unexpected. You're just wandering up the fells, and suddenly this little little blue lake is below you and actually we were going to Scorefell and I really wanted just to stop there and not go to Scorefell and just swim uh, it was so lovely so you knew the valley really well yeah we'll go off on an adventure just go out in the morning bye and my mother wouldn't see me for ages and ages and we'd just go off you know walking looking we used to look around the iron ore mines a lot and be tempted to go down the shaft but didn't um, and go up to the tarns it was always nice and your friends came stay with me they say, what shall we do? We'd perhaps go to the waterfall, to Stanley Gill waterfall, and there was always something to do. Um, look at the train. Yes, it was nice. Did you ever go up to the peat huts? Yes, yeah. And, and there's stone circles up there as well, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it's lovely, yeah. At one point I found a little notebook I'd kept, and I'd, I wanted to go and live in one of the peat huts and like, be a hermit <laughs> and have just food delivered up there and stay there, yeah. So, school life, when did you start and where was the school? In Asdale Valley, we have two schools. We had um, Boots, which was called Eskdale High, and we had Eskdale Green School, which was Eskdale Low. We always liked to make note of that. And um, Little School was just down from the village, walking distance for most people. Very small, one teacher school. When I left, there were 16 children. And so it did carry on for a few years more, and then it had to close. It was just too small. Did they call them dame schools, or am I on that, that completely wrong? That? <laughs> that was before that. That was before Even. Even. <laughs> <laughs> but one teacher, that's quite something. And they covered all the curriculum. It's Not that there was a curriculum. <laughs> the, the amazing thing was, actually, I, perhaps I didn't give her credit for this, she did get an awful lot of children through the 11+. plus. Um, she was quite good. She was eccentric, also, and very bad-tempered sometimes. And, and I had a smattering of a lot of things and practically no history and no geography. The three R's were yeah. very strong in there. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a lovely passage in the book where you mention the uh, drawing in of winter and uh, the fact that uh, the teacher got you cocoa and Reggie stories. In the afternoon, actually, probably towards Christmas, it did actually start getting dark and the oil lamps coming from the ceiling weren't really enough. And she'd say, children, can you see properly? And we always knew the answer would be, no. So, oh, well, OK, put your books away. And um, the older children went to one end of the room beside the fire and the younger ones went to the other end of the room with their plasticine and um, little books on everything and, and um, did what they wanted, basically. And the teacher read to us, from the wind in the willows, from bro Rabbit... <laughs> <laughs> which we loved, we loved. Nice, cosy times. In due course, I gather, you did actually take over the running of the post office. Yes, the post office had run down and it sold, I mean, it was a shop, but it sold very few things. In the end, it was cigarettes, Rennie's, aspirin. And the old lady was getting on, she was into her 70s, and she broke her wrist initially, and so mum helped her a lot more. Just after my dad died, I think, at the age of eight, and then they did a little deal between them, that my mother would borrow the money and buy the building, post office, and take over the post office work. So my mother, it was up to mum to build up the shop and the post office from very, very little. That was quite a nice challenge. She enjoyed doing it, actually. Could you give us a little bit of flavour, as it were, a visual flavour of the sweets, the knick-knacks, the commodities that were on store? Yes, um, standing behind the counter where my mother stood, it was a nice piece of oak, actually, quite polished. And behind that, there was her rows of sweet jars that we weighed out and also underneath bars of chocolate. And she had great big bars of dairy milk. And then mice got in and they nibbled the corner of it. So my mother sold them off cheap. <laughs> 
<laughs> because the rest of it was fine, only the corner was nibbled. <laughs> Keep also, in mind. She, she told them off, squeak. <laughs> Um, and, and then we had um, a fridge in the corner. We sold ice cream, some some ice cream company called Franchi, I think, from Barrow. Things for children to do. And then um, books, Lake District books. And then later on, I was in charge of fiction. So I tried to have good fiction and not blood and thunder. <laughs> and my mother did the Lake District books. With my connection with Wainwright, I cannot but mention... The was it 1955 or 56? Those guides started coming out. Did they have an impact here? They certainly did. Um, we sold the first one was um, Southern Fells, which was all around here. We sold dozens, and anything that was hot stuff we put on the counter. We had a big pile of Kendall mint cake and a big pile of Wainwright Southern Fells, and, and they sold really well. And once um, this older gentleman came to deliver from Kendall to brought them and mum knew it was Wainwright but he didn't say anything just just brought some books <laughs> <laughs> he came in his very swank car uh, no it'd yeah, be on the bus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sweet tooth is what so many youngsters are what was the most popular here chocolate caramels um, and in the jars there were things called bullseyes, which were quite big and brown, big round brown things, very hard and minty, but they lasted for ages in your cheek, you could make them last. Um, and then slowly toffees and, and sweets started coming out in bags and you didn't have to weigh them, so that was actually easier. But we had sweet jars for a long time. I can remember those sort of things in our little village shop. Yeah. Uh, did you have, were you tempted to sneak in and have any yourself quietly? Well, I was, but I never took anything without asking mum. I just did, can I have? I always said, can I have? But mum and the dog and I were all a bit fatter after the first year. Uh, so you'd be probably, I don't know, nine, uh, ten, and uh, coming to the village shop, there would be all these visitors, tourists, but, but a lot of them were hill walkers climbing them rugged mountains. Uh, what sort of interaction did you have? A lot, actually, in those days were students and they were youth hosteling. We had a very nice youth hostel higher up. Um, and my mother loved it. She teased them and said, you know, what on earth can you be doing going up a mountain with half a house on your back? How can you enjoy that? And, oh, oh it's lovely. They, and they laughed and they, she had good fun. She liked it. And I liked it because it brought in different people. Normally you would just see one or two locals wandering about. Um, but suddenly there's people from all over the place. Uh, when you uh, had trips out, rarely, there was Jack's bus that took you to Whitehaven. What was that little narrative there? That was one, our one chance, if you hadn't a car, and most of us hadn't, is to get out of the valley and go to town. And that was Whitehaven, was the nearest decent-sized town. And we went on always Saturday afternoon. You could go Thursday afternoon, which was market day, and also Saturday afternoon was market day. We always went on a Saturday. And it was quite pally getting on the bus, and, oh, hello, how are you, how are you? And the bus used to stop at road ends on the way down and let the farm people come down there alone in and get on the bus. And then off we would go. Jack was quite a character, but he, he sort of timed his return on um, first house pictures. So you could actually do your shopping, have something to eat, then go to first house um, cinema, and then go back to the bus. And that made a nice day out. That's normally what we did. But it was a very slow journey home because Jack did like his tipple. Gradually getting towards Eskdale, he'd start stopping probably three or four times and get out and say, parcel for the pub, and then not come back for a quarter of an hour. And it made a very extensive 
extended return. And then my mother used to get cross because he would try and cover up his return with, oh, I've just heard, he just heard a bit of news, like a terrible accident on so-and-so corner to sort of divert you from being cross with him. And somebody would always go, oh, really? And then my mother would get cross because it kind of let him off the hook a bit. Uh, but however, that was our only way of, of travelling, so we did it. Estelle, like many of these valleys, is famous for its show, agricultural show. And it's a very special one here, isn't it? Actually, it is, yes. It's very old. It's, been, it's always traditionally last Saturday in September. So after we get all our swimming finished with and it got a bit chilly, then autumn would start setting in, the bracken would be turning, rowan berries would be out, and it would be Eskdale's show. Um, and we got really excited because there was something for everybody at the show. There were children's races. Uh, of course, the big thing were the Herdwicks, um, and lots of prizes were given out for smart-looking sheep of <laughs> various kinds. And um, Are they tups or tips here? We say tups. Tups, yeah. Um, and then uh, there was a WI tent, so there was lots of handicrafts on show. Um, hound trailing, of course, it was a big thing. And my uncle had a, a dog called Perivel, which just won every race it ever ran. It was very, very fast. I think one season it won 58 races. Yeah, it was... That was Gordon Perivel. <laughs> um, and then the last thing of all was the singing competition. And um, there were three sections. It was um, comic, hunting and sentimental. And you've had to enter and come and stand in the middle of the ring and sing your song with a microphone. And we liked the sentimental. And Mum and I liked the Rose of Tralee. And uh, I'll take you home again, Kathleen, if you could remember those songs. It's one or two very good tenor voices that were really spectacular and beautiful. Yes, Karaoke. Yeah, yes, exactly. Estelle fashion. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When you moved into the post office, it must have been pretty spartan and chilly, particularly in the winter. It was freezing. It was very draughty. The, the house had been run down, so there were cracks and, uh, and and gaps in the windows. It was very cold. We had no water, so we had to walk about 20 yards to the river with a couple of buckets and fill them. And always the buckets were empty when you wanted a cup of tea or fill your hot water bottle. Um, and it was actually very cold. And we had a little primer stove to cook on because we couldn't have an electric cooker. And sometimes on the fire, we had to put a pan on the fire, so all our pans were black on the bottom. Um, it was hard, and unfortunately, as soon as we moved in there, the old lady fell, broke her hip, and refused to go to hospital, and took to her bed. So Mum had to look after the post office and her, uh, and do the washing with, you know, no, no hot water, really. So that was difficult, but 11 months later, we did get water in, so that was great. We could turn the tap on, um, and then... Perhaps another 18 months later, we got electricity. But oh, those early days were very difficult. So your teacher, strong on the three R's, got you through your 11 plus, And you went from Estelle High to the heights of Keswick and flourished there. And there's this quote in the book, I left this valley that day, returned only for holidays, but I discovered in the years to come that I have carried it inside me. That place and that time, ever since. So what is that that's held within you over all these years? It's a combination of things, I think. It's an attachment to the, to the valley and to this fantastic, beautiful scenery that's um, remained unspoiled, really. Eskdale has remained very much the same. Um, 
and to the way of life. It is, it is so different from the cities that I've lived in. And also, when you're sort of dragged away at 11 and then you come back for holidays, home keep, remains a special place for you. That um, you're always looking forward to it, and then you're always sad to leave, and it remains very, just remains very special in your mind. And I think it was the way of life, and the people, very genuine people. I'm always a mountain person. If I go on holiday, I don't particularly go to the sea. I would always choose mountains and lakes. So wherever you've lived are, are places that you've lived, mm. but this is home. Yeah, this is home. My mother's buried here in the St Catherine's Church, very beautiful church. Um, by the river and there's room on top for me <laughs> there's room on the headstone just <laughs> a little space yes a little space and it's just it just has that magnetic quality i think a lot of people feel it actually it's just a very special place the rumble of water in the background we're setting off on our walk it's pouring with rain and we're looking over mark white water as far as we can see. This is Whitewater Dash, Willenbeck by Estelle Mill. This lovely little bridge that leads to the mill, but we're not going this way. We're turning right from the Boot Inn and we're heading down to St. Catharines. And let's just tell listeners what we can see here because this is rather lovely. I've not seen it in working order before. It's the water wheel. Yes, it's impressive. There's no brake on it. They have to keep it running, otherwise it'd be under stress. So it's there, it's an animated scene. This is power of nature. Lovely to see that, and if we turn around and look down Orange Hill, the uh, lovely old miners' cottages there, the gift shop, which of course has got the sign there, the old post office, smoke coming out of the chimneys it's that kind of day mark yeah this is autumn the weather has changed we're in a different season next stop i think where we can get some shelter from the rain will be st catherine's church absolutely well mark we've done our first quarter mile i'd say we've walked from boot and we found some shelter here we have indeed. We passed Orange Hill and down past Brook House, across the road, come down a lovely little byway which leads us to the porch of St Catherine's Church, which sits quietly beside the River Esk. It's sitting very quietly, but for the brushing sound of the rain in the leaves that are being rustled by the breeze. And you can see in the stone the hematite, the pinky colour in the walls that flank the churchyard. Yeah, that's one of the noticeable things. Um, we passed two little features that we covered on a previous country stride, actually. We passed Tickle Belly or Tickle Berry Alley, yep. which um, Alan Cleaver reminded us about way back when we walked on the old Corpse Road over yep. to Wasdale Head, and then Parsons Passage. Yeah, I think it goes to the vicarage. That's right. That's right, and the or parsonage, but it's the vicarage, I think. And uh, and we saw an acute wall with an accumulation of stone in it, and the the beck uh, going through the wall with a lovely arch effect in the stone walling, which uh, would look handsome in any situation. And it's just a humble passage underneath a wall. Yes, pretty much opposite Brookhouse Hotel. Absolutely beautiful feature just allowing the beck to go beneath the wall. 
you're right to point out this lovely rose-coloured stone here. It's fairly unique in Cumbria, isn't it? And of course, just about a stone's throw from here, it's the stepping stones. Have you ever fallen in off those stepping stones, Mark? I've been over them once, and I, on a second time, I got to the middle. Well, not quite to the middle, coming from the south side, and there are two very rounded stones in there, mm. and the water was high-ish, and I didn't fancy them. And of course, a, a slick, rounded stone is dodgy. Underwater. Mm. And you can so easily slip off it. <laughs> Let's move upstream. I don't think we've got a clear consensus over whether we're going to cross the river, which we I'd could, quite like to. We could or... both go and be on either side. We can wave. Oh, actually, that sounds like a great luxury. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Separated by a channel. Well, it's still absolutely tipping it down out there. I think next stop for us is the Woolpack. Uh, well, yes, indeed. We'll stop there having passed Doctor's Bridge. We found our next port of call, uh, port in a storm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where have we got to, Mark? Well, we're at the Woolpack Inn, but we came in through the door, which says Hard Knot Cafe. Either way, it's dry. As we came along, we did cross the bridge that you suggested. Absolutely right. Where there used to have railway tracks for the Hermitite mine. Uh, and the river, wow! I looked at the stepping stones beside the church. And the water was at least a foot above them, and they are huge stones, so that gives you a measure of the raging waters. And when you think about it, the catchment for the Esk is pretty colossal. Not only space, uh, the catchment area, but the height. You know, you've got the highest mountains in England. Cam Spout, Fox's Tarn all the way. Down Cam Spout, the huge bowl up there of, of Great Moss. Linko, Beck coming off Bowfell and Crinkle Crags. Mm. They all yeah, you're right, yeah. focus in on this one water course. So inevitably, if you've got inclement weather, that river's going to rise very suddenly. It's a beautiful river, beautifully lined with trees. And it's, it's enchanting, but just at the moment, it's raging. It's wonderful. So let's talk about our little walk from there to here, from St Catherine's Church. So... You're right, went to look at the stepping stones. I tried to persuade you to cross them, and uh, you resisted on this occasion. <laughs> then we crossed that bridge, and what I love about... We had a bit of a discussion about which side of the river-esque we would follow, and uh, thankfully I won, because it, it is better. I know that you like the other side, but what's lovely is not only do you get the gorgeous old oak woodlands there, um, and you actually get a little bit of height, but there's that little... Um, Tarn hidden yes. in the trees there. It's a moss, you might call it's it. It's a moss, it is. And it's really. surrounded by quite a diversity of tree types. And the backdrop of crags just Lovely. lends it off, sends it off. And there was one neat little bench sitting there, which yeah. on a glorious sunny day would be a heavenly spot to sit. Filled with water lilies, wasn't it, as well? Mm. Absolutely beautiful spot. I've always loved it there. And then you drop down to Dr. Bridge. Now, I mean, firstly, the name, really interesting. We think, don't we, that the reason for the name is explained by the architecture. And what's fascinating about the architecture, tell us, Mark. Yeah, if you look underneath it, you can see there was once a very narrow pack horse bridge and it's been expanded. So it's probably three times the width of what it originally was. 
But yeah. it, even then, it's just enough for a vehicle to go over it. So it must have been very perilously narrow yeah. Packles Bridge. But still, it would have been a big arch going over a, a, a ravine. It must have been a striking structure. To get a picture of what's happened to that bridge, you actually have to stand underneath it. I did that a month ago and got it. You've got the picture, so that'll be on the website. And if you look up at it, you can see the old width of the bridge and also the extension, the widening of it to the width it is now. And my understanding is one of the um, explanations for why it's called Doctor Bridge is that extension was done by a doctor who wanted to get a wider vehicle over to either, is it Low Burka? Low Burka, yes. Or Penny Hill, but... I mean, that would be an explanation. If anybody's got a better one, do get in touch. We, nope. we always like to hear it. So we'll travel up what is a, an old shepherd's way, I think, Mark, to uh, Eel Tarn. And, and the name there, is it to do with eels, do we think? Pretty unlikely. The old Viking word eel is ill, wicked or evil. You get various ill gills, like ill gill head. Ill bell. Ill bell. Invariably, it means sinister, I think, best of all. You've got other tarns up in that vicinity, like Sine. That means the one that's liable to dry out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, lovely. And Blee Tarn, which means the blue water. It's an amazing landscape. It's one to go and get lose yourself in on a gorgeous day. We'll bring this little conversation to a close in a sec. But the other interesting thing is Stanley Gill. I didn't realise why it was called that, but there's an explanation. Yeah, yeah the family called Stanley who lived at Delgarth Hall. And they, they were the landowners, weren't they? They were one of the, the, the major landowners in Estelle for centuries were the Penningtons, of, mm-hmm. of course, of Moncaster Castle fame. Their land stretching all the way to Little Langdale. Uh, and then the second group, yeah, it was the Stanleys. Mm-hmm. Yep, they created the Stanley knife, as you know. <laughs> That's to be cut. <laughs> Sounds like a Cumbrian tall story for the... Um... <laughs> yeah, this is one for the Bridge Inn at Santon Bridge. Right, OK, Mark. Well, I think that's us done, isn't it, at the Woolpack. Lovely warm welcome here as well. Fires on everywhere. This is why I love a Cumbrian autumn. It's the stoves and the fires. And, and... we've got a cup of tea here as well, which is quite outrageous on a day's walk. Don't Wait. normally do this. You normally get the flask out. We're sitting on a wet rock. I'm very much pro-wandering from pub to pub, drinking tea and or beer, and occasionally eating a lot of cake. Anyway, on that note, let's um, gird the loins and put the waterproofs back on, and we're going to get onto the fell. Okay, Mark, well, we're braving the elements here. Um, just because we're up looking at Eeltarn. We've got to have a little bit of a chat about this. So first thing to say is we worked out that what I thought was the old quarry way, what is it? It's a sled gate to the peat huts. So they will have been extracting peat for heating their dwellings from this moorland. One of the final zigzags, you pass really quite a well-preserved peat hut that's one here, and then when you go on the other side of the old corpse road, there are half a dozen. So obviously in its time, yielded a lot of fuel. Now, let's hear a, a fellscape view from you, Mark. Well, a fabulous view, yes, certainly. You can see Great Howe, which is uh, to our north, 
uh, above Eel Tarn, and rising above that is Scorfell, much lost in the mist, but you can see Long Green and Slight Side. And then as I sweep round a little more to the east, the very distinct peak of Peel Place Noddle, mm. which is named after the what is now the Woolpack Inn, which was the Peel Place. And then a little bit further around, you see part of Border End on Hardknot. And then over the threshold of Hardknot Pass, you can see Grey Friar mm. and Swirl Howe and a part of Brim Fell. And then to the right of that, the very distinctive summit of Heart of Fell. Further around, due south, you can see the two great waterfalls. In fact, I can see three, but there's Burke of Force, uh, an intermediate one, which I don't exactly know a name of. But then you've got Stanley Force, which is a great Niagara mare's tail. And behind Burke of Force is Green Crags, that wonderful little knobbly ridge. And then swinging round, you can see Heskfell, Whitfell, Woodend Heights, and Yode Castle, and Stainton Pike. They're the Devoke Water Fells, are they? They're the ones directly above there, and then they've got that little Alp of communities, the farmsteads at Burkethwaite. Very good, and particularly notable today, you've hinted at it, looking at Great how there, waterfalls plunging down the fell side everywhere. Frilled with white lace. Yeah, well, very poetic, Mark. One thing uh, reminds me we, we haven't mentioned yet is um, just as we were leaving the Woolpack, we met some local lads there who, unbelievably, on a day like today, they were in shorts and T-shirts. They'd been swimming. They'd been in Burkatan today, but they did mention, didn't they, that he came swimming in a tarn each month, he came up, and last year, the coldest he had ever had was eel tarn when they had to take the ice off it to go for their dip. <laughs> there you are. Him and his friend were coping with the elements by having double whiskey shots. <laughs> so presumably that helps. Uh, it's called the water of life, isn't it? On that peaty note, we should crack on. Let's go, Mark. Cheers! We've come off the moor from Eel Tarn and we've come into an outgang which constricts underneath a hawthorn tree. And I look back now and Great Howe is overtopped by Scorfell. That's right, and an outgang, an old route that farmers would use to get their stock onto the fell. So it's kind of two walls close together. Uh, interesting thing about Great Howe, Mark, not in Wainwright's guides. Now, I find this fascinating because it's a great fell. It's high, it's distinct. Well, what do you think the reason for that is? It's an unusual omission. It was very difficult for me to understand when I came to look at it. It became so palpably a distinct fell, uh, unlike Slight Side, which is just a shoulder of Score Fell. Mm. And it, it's just an awkward fell. The moorland to the west of here, which I call Estelle Moor, which rises to Boat Howe, you could say that's sprawling and probably just moorland, but that yeah. Great Howe is a stately, formidable escarpment overlooking Burmore Tarn and Willenbeck. 
It is, isn't it? It's got some really good crags on this side. There's a fabulous array of tarns up there, I seem to remember, aren't there? Little pools. Oh, yes, renowned for its sogginess. Maybe the wetness caused Wainwright to shy away. Maybe he had a Pennine Way moment trying to get there. That's it. And uh, listen to the sheep here talking to us. This season's lamb. Listen to it. There's an argument to say it is one of the most inaccessible fells in the Lake District. Even thinking about things like Seatell and fells over Wasdale Way, they're not that far out. You have to do a good old walk in to get here and it's over tough ground, very boggy, and certainly in mist, the amount of crags and bluffs, bogs you're going to be crossing, it could get pretty ropey. It's a, it's a serious undertaking. Without having the altitude, it's got the attitude. If we look south, are we looking south or are we south looking east? West. Southwest. It's clear, so the weather's changing. Uh, my guess is by the time we get back, <laughs> it might even have stopped raining. But for now, I'm pretty sodden through. I'm looking forward to meeting the Baines, whose farm is just down here, uh, below the monkey puzzle tree that we can see ahead of us. Oh yes, of course, and and I'm looking forward to the Arga. Gosh, it's brilliant to come into this room after that one heck of a trek we'd come over the top there, and it was... But we've got a wonderful Arga, and we've coming into the living room of Noel and Janet Baines. It's such a delight to see you, folk. A lovely little farmhouse with a wonderful outlook towards Stanley Force across the valley. It's a very genuine Cumbrian farm sitting room kitchen combined with some antique oak furniture. And in this wonderful company of Janet and Noel, who uh, have lived here. How long, Noel? Eight years. Was your father here? Yes grandfather as well. Came to Eskdale in 1901. Can't do any better. <laughs> Where did the Baines come from? Langdale, Elterwater. But they weren't farming. They were gunpowder workmen. Gunpowder works blew up, didn't they? In, ah, 1916. My grandfather was working in there, was killed. But the family lived on, and father come to Ashdale to farm work. We've been here ever since. <laughs> and Janet? I came over here from Coniston in 1946, come to work at the top of the valley. And then uh, I was there three years and moved down to the pub down here. To the boot in? Yeah. And it was the burn mower then. And we all met up there. A great place for meeting yeah. farmers and all sorts. Yes. And you met Noel? Yes. Was it love at first sight? Well, no, not really, because it would, there would be uh, ten or a dozen of us all together, you know, and, and then we just singled off. And Noel, can you give me a little bit of a sense of the extent of Howe's farm and what kind of stock have you got here? I'd heard with sheep and uh, Limmy, Angus, blue grey cattle, but we only run about 20 cows on the fell, between three and four hundred sheep, like so. Your uh, immediate in by fields, you've got uh, how many acres? About 50 acres? 70 acres. 
And then your range, your grazing range and onto the common, how far up does it go? Go up hill. Oh, so you go over Great Owl. Right, oh, right to the top, long green. Long green. Yeah. So yeah. in your over the years, you've tramped up that way many... I, I've done nothing but walk. And so, inevitably, you've climbed Scorfell many, many times. Could you quantify it? No, I couldn't. <laughs> Two or three times a year when we used to gather. Not only do you have uh, sheep that range over the school fells, but occasionally people in the past have been aware of a particular donkey. What was the story there, Noel? We just bought her as a, a pet when she was about six months old, wasn't it? Eight months old when we got it. It was just something that I fancied. And uh, we went and uh, got this little... Thing, brought it back in the back of the Land Rover, so that's how small it was. <laughs> and uh, we had it for 30, 38 years, and it had one fall. We just tried it to see if it would breed, and it had one. But it, it had a short life, hadn't it? Yeah, it had. And uh, we called it Becky. <laughs> it ate many pork sandwiches that fell. <laughs> <laughs> it participated in Fell Walker's bait. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it would, uh, went to Fell with cows. That's what it did, like. It lived with cows, you know. I used to love going there, stopping with the cows, and if they were calving, it used to stand with them. If you were there uh, and you put your arm round it, it would stand all day. It would. It had a personality. Yes. They formed companions for other animals. I remember when I was a little boy, we had a big cart horse. We had a donkey to go with the cart horse. Yeah, they do them yeah. with racehorses sometimes, don't they, to keep them calm. Now, I'll ask you, Janet, when you first came here and got married to this handsome young man, uh, what sort of things did you do on the farm? Oh, well, we did all sorts of things, uh, cleaning the buyers out and uh, dipping sheep and air timing. We used to put, uh, if it was a wet time, we'd tripods and we used to hang the grass round to dry on these sticks with a hollow in the middle and they used to dry out and it made lovely hair. We had hens and and all sorts of things. You did you stored the hay in loose in the barn in the byre. Yes, we did, and then we got a a baler, a stationary baler, and I used to stand on this big stack and throw it in, and Noel used to be there to tie the string. A stationary baler. I yes. do know that there were such things. I can visualise them from the early 50s. So that's about that time. Yes. Gosh. Was it a McCormick or something? Stationary baler was a Ross of Lanark. Oh. But the McCormick followed. We used to do some dangerous things, really. I can't believe it. And standing on the back of the trailer and throwing, well, muck, as we call it, uh, just throw it onto a spinner an axle with a spinner on. Aye. And, that, and that was to spread it out on the field? Yes. Just threw it onto it and it spun out. Gosh, yeah. it could have easily slipped. Easy. 
Easy, but it's illegal now. You wouldn't dare. And Noel, have you got any specific memories of the early farming days? Uh, there wasn't a lot of money about. <laughs> but no, I worked for driving a cattle wagon and trying to make two shillings an hour. Did you have farm hands? No. Just our own and my father. Till the lads come along. And they were, they were there. No, the money was tight, but still, we've, we've got through. I, and did you grow anything else? Potatoes or something? We grew all every year. Good taties. Can you describe between the pair of you the, the notion of taty week? Uh, Noel? Taty week. School kids to pick taties. That is what they got all in the week, didn't they, in October or sometime? And you got the, what they call Teddy Week. Janet, what was your first Lakeland memory? Oh, the day I left school at Coniston, I was put on the train and picked up at Broughton in Furness and brought here to work. And I was a fortnight off being 14. No, now... What's your first memory of Estelle in the Lake District? Going to school. <laughs> I mean, that would be 1939, wouldn't it? Boot school. Estelle High. Yeah. Estelle High. <laughs> Can't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> Were you good at your three R's? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Evacuees swelled the school out for three times as big. Yeah. Tynesiders. Then we got a London influence, flying whiz bombs or whatever they had down there, chest them out of London. I gather there was uh, a, an instance of an aircraft crashing into Scorfell. Could you reflect on that? Three hurricanes, planes in 1941, April. Year we came here, we were at school and we all walked up to see whether it wasn't a very good sight. But they buried it, and they buried the humans, and there were poles that were dry, uh, pilots, and they buried them under stones. Years after, I walked up into rocks where one was, and melting ash and that, and bullets, and three or three bullets and that, that had been in machine guns. There were hurricanes from Silith, I think. There was an ambulance plane, an Anson plane in Scorpel. There was an Anson plane quite late on end at war. And then there was one on top of cars. Yes, that's a Halifax. That's a Halifax. Well, it went round here three times one night, but it didn't come far, and that's where it had got. But they were still alive, a lot of them, it was in that. There was seven in it, wasn't there? And that aeroplane engine was in Coniston Churchyard, which I think maybe now they've took it to the museum. Now, Janet, no, you've both been embroiled in the Estelle show inevitably all these years. Janet, what particular aspects uh, have you been most keenly interested in? Well, the handicrafts and uh, and all the uh, baking and things, you know, to see whether they've got soggy bottoms or <laughs> <laughs> or what and the photographs and 
And the craft work, there's been some marvellous uh, craft done. But These are they, usually people just from the village, of the valley? Yes, a lot of them are, and maybe from uh, Ennerdale, as far away as Ennerdale. And uh, really regulars, you know, showing, and quite a lot of locals. And uh, it's been really, uh, really a good show. No, you've been involved with the show all these long years. Have you ever missed one? One. Just missed one. 1991. Yeah. 1991, we went to Canada. So it's the only one I've missed. Even in wartime, there was always a mayor meeting and somebody to give a talk, a ministry man that would come and give a talk to us, you know, so... And as I say, we were at school, so it was a day off. Interestingly, everybody who knows about Estelle automatically thinks of Hard Knock Pass and its incredible zigzags. There must have been many instances that you've been aware of and uh, maybe your son Barry might have been involved with recovering vehicles. He was very much with the garage and he always said uh, there was never anybody hurt. The vehicles were down in the gill and things, but uh, nobody was hurt. He came back on one and he says, it says, I love my car. There was a sticker in He says he didn't think much of his car when it was <laughs> nearly wrong side up, just held by a tree. Now, Noel, have you a favourite fell? No, it's all nice round here. It's all good. Do you love being up on the fell directly behind here? Oh, yes, I. Nice to go to Town. Yes. I used to go when you gathered sheep, didn't I, to stop them turning back. July time, uh, Barry said uh, it was nice. Water lilies were out. Nice lot of water lilies this time. Have but you... the island's gone. Ah, there was an island there. Yeah, there was a little island and uh, seagulls and that used to nest on it. And it's disappeared now. Stony Town's bad to find for fresh people. It's in a holler, isn't it? I've known a lot of folk go and look for it and can't find it. I, I always find the Peel Place Noddle a lovely name. Oh, yeah. That with stone on top of the hill. Yes. <laughs> aye, aye. Uh, you have to beat your way through the bracken to get up there, but it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, nobody could fell tracks out now. Used to cut sheep trods out. Janet, have you a particular place you love to go to in this valley and around the farm? Well, just sitting at the table and looking out at the view is as good as anywhere. <laughs> it is. Can you see Stanley Falls? Uh, not quite, but you can see the bare place where the, they've made a viewing point now. And you see there's Burke Force. We can see that from out of the window and up onto Burke Moor and the traffic going up and down. You don't need to go anywhere, really. <laughs> and that field across there, Christine, uh, that used to come to the cottage... She calls it the sound of music field. And if they come, she has to go onto that field. She has a Julie Andrews moment. Yes, <laughs> she does. She does. But it's, uh, it is marvellous. 
you know, to to be able to see what we do without going anywhere. This is a great gift you have here. I just look out of your picture window here and get an untarnished view of wonderful wild fells and trees. Yeah. Horizon upon a horizon on such a wet day as today, you yes. still can see this, get a sense of a magical valley. The mist comes down sometimes and you can't see a thing. Noel, you've wandered these uh, pastures and up the valley and round and the becks. Have you got a special place? No, not really a special place. It's all good. Can't think about else it's any better. <laughs> you know, I think we've been far enough. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to London. I haven't been any further down than Nottingham and up as far as my leg. <laughs> I know quite happy and just wish I could do it all again. Journey's end, we're back by Boot Mill. The weather, Mark, has uh, it's improved. I mean, it, it couldn't not improve, but it's actually stopped raining. Yeah, it's quite a transformation. We did see to the west, across the sea, in the Irish Sea, that there was clear sky. And an island man must have been basking all day. I'm sodden through. But you know what, Mark, once in a while, it's kind of bracing to just get out, be blown around, battered about by the elements. Uh, there's something kind of elementally lovely about it. As I say always, it's having the right gear. I think, unfortunately, Dave, uh, you need to visit an outdoor shop. Your boots have got holes in, your t uh, over trousers are torn to tatters. I think you deserve a complete revamp. I don't get paid enough for being a, an author and a lowly Cumbrian publisher, Mark. Clearly, uh, the money's in writing these guidebooks. Oh, that's it, indeed. Podcasting doesn't earn much. Anyway, look, we've had a great walk, Mark. It's a lovely little fell walk, that one, isn't it? It doesn't demand a great deal. But actually, even though you haven't got great height, you're really in the thick of grand fell country. That's another bit, fell country. It's that wonderful tangle of rocks, marshes, open prospects, and a mix of hills that tantalise you in every direction. And you're quite maritime here, so you can see towards the sea, but your eyes are naturally entranced to all the mountains themselves. And Scorfell was there paternally at the back of all that we saw today. I think Estelle folk always feel very strongly, don't they, that Scorfell is a kind of parent mountain to the valley, really. It's the highest mountain of them all, they always thought. That's why it's Scorfell yes. as opposed to the Pikes of Scorfell, which they always thought was slower. And we should reflect on our wonderful guests, a really lovely evocation of life past, memories of home. I think that came across very clearly from both Patricia and Janet and Noel. Absolutely, this is it. This is a homely valley, it's a community that hasn't changed a great deal. It's sufficiently remote from most of the thoroughfares of tourism to retain some element of that integrity of the place. I love the fact that when you asked Janet and Noel for their favourite view, it was the view out of their window. 
But I mean, how many people say that? It's just lovely. I took several photographs out of there. You're transported to wild places. We'll draw this to a close. Um, it's been lovely to do something a little bit different, not only walking in the rain, but nice to walk with you for a change on, on the mic and having a bit of a chin wag, uh, Mark. And that's just lovely to pop in and visit fantastic people as we go. Well, uh, we're with friends all the time. We enjoy one another's company, but strictly we enjoy the people we meet. Yes, yes, they're much better actually. Now some housekeeping. <laughs> this is episode number 65? 66. 66. I have to keep reminding you each time. Yeah. For all previous episodes, it's www.countrystride.co.uk. If you would like to support us, you can buy any of our guidebooks, which are on the same uh, website. We're on social media. Facebook and Twitter at CountrySTRIDE1. We have no idea what we're doing next, so we won't try and pretend we do. Um, but for now, we're saying goodbye from this magical valley and a day that finally is brightening up.